0: what the actual fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians yours truly sammy previtt owner of fine food freedom and jenna warner owner of happy strong healthy we can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body Try, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today we had Megan Watson on the podcast, who is a registered psychotherapist and the founder of Bloom Psychology and Wellness, a therapy practice based in Toronto. Her everyday, in her everyday work, Meg, Megan focuses on education and support for people experiencing struggles with understanding their emotions, their relationship with food and their bodies, and managing everyday stress, stresses and establishing healthy relationships.
1: outside of of the therapy room, Megan is a mental health consultant, writer, and creator. Megan is a resident therapist for Alchemy Health, an on-demand mental wellness platform designed for the Black community. When she's not working, Megan spends time reading, listening to podcasts, tending to her urban garden, and spending time with friends and family. The only thing I'm disappointed we didn't talk about is this urban garden, because I feel like the plant conversations are always so fun. But Besides that, we covered so many topics in this episode that Sam and I each have pages of notes and plenty of things to journal about after talking to Megan today.
0: (laughs) Yes. If you want a free therapy session, you're about to get one right here, right now, covering everything from generational trauma to core beliefs. Um, If you don't already follow Megan, which you will after this episode, you can go follow her at thrive underscore with Meg and her, her Instagram alone, every single post is just thought provoking. And we always use the word curiosity here. And I feel like she's just so aligned with that and gets her clients so
1: curious. One of the things that I think makes this episode too different than some of the other ones that we've recorded especially with therapists is there was a lot of action step discussion in this episode like things that you can do to start making the change if any of this brought up any emotion for you and one of the questions we asked her was if somebody didn't currently have a therapist how could they you know implement some of this work at home on their own to start we are definitely huge advocates for therapy, but we understand that you might not be ready at this very moment. And so she provided a lot of really good information that's really thought-provoking and some things that you can do to start really unpacking some of that at home, and then maybe it will lead you towards a greater therapy journey. Yeah. And I think just
0: even if you're already in therapy, just if you're looking like, how can I get more out of it? Cause I think therapy, that's something I've learned. Like, as you continue to go through it, it's like, okay, what can I do between my sessions or during my sessions to get the most out of it? So we're not going to hold you up any longer because this conversation was amazing. So enjoy everything that Megan Watson has to say. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today, we have Megan Watson here. Megan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: My absolute pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's
1: a joy. You're making my day already. (laughs)
0: I'm going to say it again. Like I just said it to her before we clicked record, but like Megan's Instagram feed, although it is not a substitute for therapy, we want to make that very clear. I feel like she takes me to therapy every time I'm on her page. And we love, 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 love having therapists on here that can just like help us selfishly, but help all of our listeners as well. So we're excited to jump in with you, Megan.
2: That's amazing.
0: Yes. So let's get started with did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist or how did you get to where you are today, professionally, personally, however you want to answer that question?
2: Mm, it's a good question. Um, I definitely knew I wanted to be in psychology. Um, I think it was one, one of the things that I knew very early on as a teenager, just because I was a very weird and odd kid. I had like a, a A phase where I felt very isolated. You know, I think if I could go back to that time, I would probably say I was a little depressed and anxious, and there wasn't really any language for that. And I had written in my diary. And I found it when I went back to my uh, parents' home, uh, like one holiday, it was like, I don't want anybody else to feel like this. Like, I'm going to be a psychologist that I'm going to do that. I must have been like 12 or something like that. Um, so I, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to pursue this work, but I actually started off uh, doing psychology research. So social psych research how people interact in groups and, um, you know, how we integrate in a community with each other. So that was where I really got started, but I got very frustrated with not actually being able to engage with the individuals that I was researching. Um, And if you're familiar with social psych research, it involves a lot of deception, meaning you, you tell people that you're studying something, but you debrief them at the end and say like, ha, joke's on you. We were actually studying this other thing like the Stanford Prison Experiment is like a very extreme example of that. Um, so I, I felt very disenchanted by by social psych research. And so I transitioned my my love for people back into doing clinical work and I got my master's and I guess
1: here we are. Amazing. Can I ask you a question? I mean, And this could be answered in a bunch of different ways. I'm sure this was not planned, Um, but did COVID and moving to an all online platform, did that change a lot with your work? Did you find it more challenging to connect with people, easier to connect with people? Did it alter that space? I know we've asked a couple therapists this question in the past, and I just think there's so many different avenues to it, if you don't mind sharing.
2: I definitely was a bit intimidated by the transition at first, so much of like, literally all of my work hinged on an in-person dialogue and a sense of safety and connection from being among in community with someone um, in person to person in very close contact with that person, in fact, and so I was a bit uh, worried that I wouldn't be able to have the same therapeutic effect um, that I had uh, through a screen, but you know, I have to really hats off to all of my amazing clients. They did an incredible job adjusting. Um, You know, we worked through it one day at a time. Sometimes it was harder than others, uh, especially when there's technical difficulties and we're we're processing something particularly painful or traumatic or difficult. It's a bit jarring to then be bumped off (laughs) of a session in the middle of a disclosure like that. So there are some, you know, hiccups in the process but ultimately I have found that I really enjoy uh virtual therapy I know I'm I'm I might be one of few. I don't know what the other therapist you asked um, said about this uh, question, but I actually really enjoy it. I like the flexibility it brings. And many of my clients are not asking to go back into the office. In fact, the only people I think that are asking to go into the office are maybe new clients um, that are inquiring about services and maybe haven't been in therapy before, which makes sense to me.
0: I love my therapist virtually as well. So I totally agree with that. <laughs> Being able to jump on and like get right to it. There are some benefits of for, cause Jenna and I both work virtually as well with clients. So there are times I'm like, no, I'm going to drive a half hour to the office cause I just need to see a human. Um, but that's that's awesome to hear. And it, it just doesn't limit the amount of reach that you have and the amount of people you can talk to as well, which is such a beautiful thing. So while we were stalking your Instagram, we saw a post you did not too long ago on a book that you, it, it's called, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shaped Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And I think when I saw that, the first thing I did is kind of relate that to the work that Jenna and I do in the intuitive eating space of, yeah.
2: um,
0: you know, humans' relationship with food or relationship with their body. So can you just expand on that post, like what that book is all about and kind of how you bring that into your work?
2: Great question. I love that book, by the way. Um, I think, you know, like I mentioned in my post, it's a book that I, I refer to often in my clinical work because more so now than ever, I think people are coming to therapy, uh, particularly the clients I see, which are Black women, uh, people of color, are learning to unpack and unlearn harmful generational cycles and dynamics that may be embedded um, in their family and their culture and their community from, you know, decades, um, centuries um, ago and, and show up in, in the body in different ways. So I really do believe that it, it didn't just start with us. You know, we we are formed as human beings, um, you know, uh, in the womb, we, <laughs> we are born. Born and, and we enter into a social sphere immediately—an interpersonal connection first with our caregivers and our parents, um, whether those are, you know, your actual parents or grandparents, or you know, you're being raised by by community members. Whoever you're around, that social environment shapes the habits you uh, form, the behaviors that you see as valid, normal, the way you talk about yourself and to yourself. Um, and I think in particularly because I do eating disorder work, it's been a really phenomenal lens to bring to those sessions where I'm working on, um, you know, similar things like intuitive eating and, and body neutrality and body positivity, because I can't tell you how many uh, clients will say that will not realize that they have a challenge or or difficulty with their relationship with food until I start asking about how their parents' uh, relationship with food is, you know, how did they, Respond to your body's needs for hunger? You know, what was the kind of messaging around how you should finish your food on, on the plate? Um, what kind of body is a good body? Um, what kinds of observations you made about, you know, uh, your mom or dad weighing themselves every day? And, you know, I think they're very subtle um, things that are impacted by our families of origins. But I just love that book because it gives us some really really core language to start unpacking one, you know, what even is my intergenerational or my generational trauma? Like, what have I inherited? And two, it gives us the tools to really start distilling that into making changes that might be more helpful to our current values or be more aligned with who we want to be and who and what we want to kind of move forward in our own families and our own lives and our own like uh, culture. So I just, I just love that book. I love it. (laughs)
0: That was so beautifully said. I just, Jenna and I are just nodding for people that like aren't, can't see this, although it will be on YouTube. Um, You hit so many, so many things there. Jenna, I want to hand it over to you because I see you unmuted.
1: I was just like trying to wrap my head around how to put to words anything that would sound as eloquent as you just stated. (laughs) Um, Because I think I'm looking at the second, slide of that Instagram post that shares the title of the book and it kind of gives like and looks like the beginning of 21 different scenarios perhaps um, that could be potentially inherited or just conversations that you can have with yourself and just something that for those that are not currently in therapy or maybe thinking about it do you recommend someone that reads this book Take one of these and journal about it, or have a conversation. Like, what would be an action item for somebody to start working through some of this information? Because for some people, I think it's really maybe the first time they're hearing it. Sorry about that. Fine.
2: Pandemic life. I was
0: gonna say, like, <laughs> dogs barking is like a normal thing here.
2: We can't control that. <laughs>
0: So I think but, to, to continue yeah. what Jenna was saying, just finding that action item, other than reading the book, of course, is there something right. there that people like to start to kind of uncover, unpack that generational trauma?
2: Yeah, I think, you know where I normally have people start is before you even read the book if the the title is like piquing your interest and you really start to be like hmm what does that mean it didn't start with me um I think try to see if you can come up with any questions that you have um I think some questions that I commonly hear from people are do I just repeat the same patterns that my parents did? Um, I- another question might be, um, you know, what what does it mean to have a partner that reminds me of my dad, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Just you know, any initial questions that relate to you and your circumstance, because I think before you read any book, before you do any journaling, I I really like to encourage uh, individuals and my clients to, to step into their own context and to, to use discernment, to be able to realize that everything we read will not apply to us. And everything that we engage with has to be digested critically. So having a a point of, of reference to say before even do this an action item I can take is to check in with my body check in with myself what are some organic questions I have about this topic without knowing anything about it um, that I have for myself so that I can start to see if these one these questions are answered and two ultimately um is there anything new or or Anything else I can add to that additional question? And this comes from my research background where uh, ultimately I want to answer questions. I want to determine whether uh, our environment and our world has insight that can Add to this kind of core curiosity that I have about something. Um, and I really like to put that lens in as like the first action item anyone can do, maybe not even just with this book, but for anyone. Um, but I think more specifically, like if you have started reading the book and you want to unpack this, bringing it to therapy and not bringing the whole book bring one line, one piece. We could unpack that for a whole 50 minutes, I guarantee you, if there's there's stuff there, um, and, and or journal about it. Do some free association writing, um, you know, see what comes up. Um, if you're not a writer, uh, record yourself kind of just rambling while you're making breakfast, any sort of thoughts, really allow yourself to be flexible with your insight and reflection on this, and and think about how you, what you want to do with that insight, because uh, reflecting and, and changing are two different things.
1: I just want to say thank you, and I'm so sorry about
2: that. <laughs> no problem at
0: all. I love that you use the word curiosity. That's a word that is commonly thrown around on this podcast, and just seeing what comes up for people. And that's, that's a lot of times what we, you know, with intuitive eating, working with clients is just saying, Hey, can we remove the judgment and the shame from the thoughts that are coming up and just be curious of why Mm. they're there and aware. Um, So where my head goes, something we wanted to talk to you a little bit about, which it kind of ties into everything that you love to talk about is core beliefs uh, about ourselves. And this is work that I kind of started to learn about through the intuitive eating process when you're helping people heal their relationship with food and body. As we know, once we kind of start to unpack that, there's a lot more down there. Um, So can you just, for someone who's never heard that term before, like what are core beliefs? Why are they important? And, And how are they kind of used in therapy?
2: Yeah. So I would define a core belief as an embedded thought structure or judgment about yourself or about the world that impacts how you move through it. And ultimately, a core belief, I use the word embedded because you're right, they are so deep. Often when I'm working with core beliefs in therapy, I begin with a casual statement that a client might make. So if we're using an ED example, you know, they might say, "Uh, I shouldn't have ate that brownie. And I start doing something called Socratic questioning, meaning if you shouldn't have eaten that brownie, what does that mean about you? What does that tell you about yourself? And then they might say, and I'm just using this as an example, um, Well, it means that I don't have any, I I had no self control, I I shouldn't have, um, I shouldn't have done that, I, I should have stuck to my diet, I should have, you know, replaced it with something healthier, or should have used different ingredients to make it. And it's like, okay, well, if you have no self control, what does that mean about you? What does that mean about your life? And I give the caveat, bear with me here, this is an emotional exposure. I'm scraping, I'm digging, I'm pressing at that wound. Because if I say like, all right, you know, say that you have no self-control, then all right, let's go there. What does that mean? And, you know, it kind of goes on and on to say, well, I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm shameful. Um, you know, I shouldn't do this. And we usually get to a place where we can't answer that question anymore. And that is normally where I say, okay, let's stop. Let's take a moment, step back. This is your core belief. And often the core belief is so simple and so awful and so uh, hidden by these layers of thoughts, right? I call them automatic appraisals, right? We have all these automatic appraisals that lead to this core belief. And at the end, we want to immediately change the core belief. You know, um, I don't deserve to be here. Um, I'm unworthy. Um, I'm ash- I'm ashamed. Um, I'm ash- I'm shameful, right? And we want to change that. But ultimately, what I tell clients is that your core belief is like looking at the end of a telescope and the glass at the end of a telescope is cloudy. And there's all these bits in our telescope that are shaping the way that we see it. And what we have to do is we've got to take apart the telescope before we change the glass and the lens Um, because you've been holding on to this for a really long time. So let's leave the core belief and let's deal with the automatic appraisals let's start with self-control. Where have you in your life to this point demonstrated that you have command over your decisions and you can make choices with purpose and agency? And then a client might then talk about a really great time that they had at work or they were a leader or they did that. And I said, well, you know, it sounds like maybe this might not be all true. And that's kind of how we get a little bit of an elbow in to start unpacking the automatic appraisals, which essentially is like, if A plus B plus C equals ABC, and we change A to negative one, does negative one plus B plus C equal ABC? And they're like, huh, I don't know. Hmm, I need to do some more thought about that. And We keep working on it and we keep working on it. I just use a lot of metaphors to describe this, but that's essentially how I do that work in in therapy and and how I use the level of inquiry to attend clients to these contradictions. Um, And then ultimately, again, back to the inherited trauma, think about where that may have come from.
0: Thank you. I think we just need to like take a moment. Even our listeners, like let's all take a deep breath in through the nose. (laughs) Is
2: that too therapy?
0: Out through the mouth. No, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You took us to church, like therapy church. Like that is what people need to hear is like that, that what therapy really is. Cause I think there's, as we know, there's stigma about mental health of, you know, going to therapy, which I think a lot is changing with that. Think. You know, mm-hmm. thankful for that. But people need to hear what it really is. And if that was my first time hearing anything about therapy, I would be running to you right now. <laughs> That's and amazing, I, and I yeah. am running
2: to you right
1: now. <laughs> <a> <laughs>
2: I love doing the psychoeducation on this. I think sometimes people are a little impatient um, with the process because they're like, I want to get rid of all my core beliefs right now. I want to change the way I think. And um, I want to, I want to do this work. And, you know, they're almost invisibly looking at this clock or this calendar uh, to say, okay, well, if I start therapy uh, by (laughs) next Monday, (laughs) I should be um, ready and raring to go. But I think, you know, before we even get started thinking about This process as you're not just a machine that needs a software update in order to become better, right? Um, I really do want to decolonize therapy in some ways to say, like, yes, we are improving your life and we're changing the way that you think, but I'm not trying to optimize you to go live in a capitalistic society. I want you to think of yourself as a whole human being, an organic, a complex, a messy um, human being, one that is going to learn to accept some of these perceptions self-proclaimed flaws, um, and, and give yourself a little bit of a break and and some grace while you're learning to attend to these and, and shape them and think about yourself in a different way rather than like, okay, well, I'm going to therapy and I'm going to become a better person. And then I can do better at my job and then I'll make more money and then I'll get a husband. And then I will like be able to buy a house because I won't have any blocks to my success. And it's like, hold on, what are some of these internal judgments and biases and beliefs that we need to unpack first before we can even get you to where you want to be.
1: Yes. And something that I keep coming back to and something that Sam and I actually just spoke about on um, a podcast recently is when it comes to the food freedom and intuitive eating journey, there's a lot of fear about how heavy air quotes, how long it will take. And something that you stated about the book is bring one line into a session and we could talk about it for the entire 50 minutes, right? So I think there's a lot of fear and people avoid therapy. And I I, I am people like this with me before, before I started therapy myself out of fear of how long I would have to do it and how long I would have to commit to it and how long it would take to work through the the thing that I thought I needed therapy for that thus leads to many, many more things. So hearing that, what would be your answer to somebody who says who is avoiding therapy, let's say, because of the commitment behind it or the lack of answers, heavy air quote. I hear that a lot from people, like in nutrition, you're not giving me answers. You're giving me more to think about. And I'm like, good, that means I'm doing my job, but like That's
2: a hard sell. Mm. I usually ask the question, um, are you more wedded to the outcome than you are to the process? This is a process journey, not an outcome journey. The outcome that you come into therapy with or you come into a session with your RD with is going to change. The goals that you have on your session one of meeting a professional for the first time may not be the same goals you have um, at session 20 or session six even. And so I really try to break down for people, this idea of what are you going to use that answer for? Because right now you're committed in, in many ways and not in a judgmental way, but like we have commitment to our harmful habits. Sometimes we're committed to the habits that harm and sometimes we're committed to the habits that heal. And right now you're committed to the habits that harm, especially if I'm dealing with a client that has particularly challenging behaviors that are actually really harmful for their physical uh, health and well wellbeing, um, like purging or using laxatives, um, you know, things like that. And so I come at it from a harm reductive standpoint saying, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, it doesn't really matter to me where you are in this journey, because, you've spent a lifetime learning about diet culture and you've spent a lifetime having that ingrained and embedded into your psyche and into your belief system and into your habits and now we're just scratching the surface of unlearning that what is the expectation that it's going to happen tomorrow and can you come to some sort of conclusion or some sort of understanding that this is going to take time? And if not, then let's think about what we're doing here. Let's think about, you know, how do we get to that place you want to be unless we start? And are you willing to give yourself some compassion as you start this journey and you realize that to do the kind of therapeutic growth and change requires that either you change everything in your life all at once, and you become deeply uncomfortable and unable to function and sustain other things like going to work, (laughs) parenting, (laughs) all these different things, or we take it one step at a time, and we go with the flow. And most of the time after I say that, people will say like, okay, I get it, it's not going to be tomorrow. But what about my answers? What about like knowing more and having some concreteness to this? And it's like, that's going to be what you put into it. We're going to find the outcomes when we see what happens between session, between the time we talk today and the next time we see, let's see what, let's see what happens. We've done a lot of learning. Now let's think about how we apply it. And that puts people into like high gear, because I think a lot of times, and you can maybe speak to this, people look to us to solve problems in their lives that we are not present in to change. And they want us to give them that answer on a silver platter, as if we can do that. And we can't, because we don't you know, sleep in the same bed as them. We don't live in their house. We don't walk their dog. We don't parent their kids. We don't live their life. And so we can't be a voice in their ear. That would be incredibly expensive, um, to do that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you could find a therapist that would be willing <laughs> to, to be personalized coach in your ear, but that's just unrealistic. And so, you know, you've got to do the work. And I don't shy away from from attending people to that and and being a little bit very blunt to say, like, I can give you all of my insight, but if you don't do anything with it, then we're going to keep having this conversation. And I have endless patience to hear it over and over again. I will never judge you. I will never shame you for that. Um, You might. You might shame yourself. um, And then you've got to decide what you want to do with that. And I can help you.
1: That was amazing. Thank you. It's the answer everybody needs to hear. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So as we wrap this, before we tell people where they can find you, for anybody listening, right here, right now, we talked about the generational trauma. We've we've touched on core beliefs. We've kind of, I love your Socratic questions, like everything was amazing. If they can remember one thing, they walk away from this, they don't remember anything but one statement from you. What would
2: it be man this is tough.
0: and it doesn't have to do with anything we talked about today we're like okay that was all great but this is what i want you to know that's fine too uh,
2: what do i want you to know what do i want people to leave with i think i want people to leave with you know remember that you are not a machine You can't just update your software and and change and be a better person and and be optimized i think we live in a culture of self-optimization and it's hard to just figure out how to live how to be and so if i could encourage anyone to just have some compassion for the complexity of what it means to be a human being and what it means to embark on a journey of healing, um, I would really encourage them to think about that, um, to to allow themselves the grace to to mess up and to to feel uh, disorganized and to allow for experiences of overwhelm and anxiety to exist we have evolved as human beings for hundreds and thousands of years and somehow we still have our emotions. That should tell you a lot about their utility, about their function, about how necessary we need them um, for in our daily lives. So don't run from it. Face the feeling and uh, release the judgment about it and let yourself be human. I would say that's, that's my final point.
0: Wow i that's a good place to end. <laughs> I, I know I needed to hear that. And mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that everyone listening, um, I know they need, I think we all need to hear what you just said. So where can everyone find you, Megan? Where's the best place for them to go to find you?
2: You can find me on Instagram at thrive underscore with Meg. Um, You can follow my blog on Substack. It's called Feelings, Healing. And you can follow along on Alchemy Health, which is the platform that I'm the resident therapist for. And it is a wellness platform for total Black health, Um, you know, really caring for the culture and, and moving forward in a way that, that demonstrates mental wellness for, for all of us, um, including intergenerational trauma and, um, you know, body-based healing and self-understanding. So, yeah, that's where you can find me.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod we promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics greatest guests and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit we love you we appreciate you and we will see you next week for a lot more fun